The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Therefore, O King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, "Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty?" While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, "O King Nebuchadnezzar, To you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Let's pray. Father, we want to, Lord, we want to lift this morning to you with a great reminder that you humble the prideful. Lord, I pray that this church is built on humility, its leaders, its staff, its members, its disciples are all resilient and reliant in Jesus. Lord, this is your church, not ours. So, Lord, may we be your your hands and feet in this community. And may we realize and accept that humility comes from a posture of service. That you died and that you served and you loved us first. Lord, thank you for your word. And we lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Ryan. Good morning, everybody. 
Um, I'm Randall, um, pastor here at Grace City. Great to see you today. Uh, you know, with, um, with our church, last week we celebrated seven years. Praise God for that. And uh, yeah, it's, it felt like an overwhelming uh, thing because I just feel like there's something about seven. I'm like, wow, that's, that's a significant uh, that's a significant season um, that God has allowed us to be here. Um, and the reason that we're here is because we believe that uh, God changes lives. Jesus uh, works in our lives. And so just thank you, Ethan, for sharing today how Jesus has worked in your life. And um, last week, we were also able to celebrate two baptisms. And so uh, Daniel and Sarah got baptized uh, last week at the ocean, so praise God for that. And, um, you know, that's what this is about. That's what this is about, is seeing Christ changing people's lives. Um, so I do want to welcome you this morning. We are in a series uh, called Living as Exiles uh, in the book of Daniel. That's what we're studying. So we uh, study different books of the Bible, and so we are in the book of Daniel. And what we've been talking about is this idea of, uh, th that's a theme throughout, uh, throughout Scripture. Um, it's this theme of being in, in exile. And in exile basically means, a working definition is that you're not in your true home. Um, you're, you're not living in your true home, but there, there's a, a home in which uh, we all are, are heading towards that's an eternal home. Um, and we're, we get reminders of that all the time in our world, don't we? There's, there's things that are just reminders of, of angst or feelings of just th this isn't right or any of those things that make us feel like, okay, this isn't my true home. There's something, there's something that stirs in me that there's got to be more. And so we've been studying that in the book of Daniel. And how do you live uh, in the tension as a, as a believer in God? And so that's what Daniel has done. He's, he's living faithfully in this society where uh, they don't believe in the same God that he does. So how do you live faithfully uh, in that world? So our text today is from Daniel uh, 4, 27 through 37. And we've been looking at, in particular, last week and this week, at the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, was the king of Babylon, and um, Nebuchadnezzar had reached heights uh, of success that uh, many only dream of. But the message today is how the fallen can rise. How the fallen can rise. In a society today where we we enjoy seeing uh, maybe celebrities or people uh, tumble down from the heights to the very depths. Um, we study it. We look into it. How did they get to this place? How can we uh, continue to dissect the fallen? Uh, this scripture today tells us how the fallen can rise. We all need this message today. See, in his book, The Courage to Stand, Russell Moore uh, shares this true story. Here's what he says. He says, the man had uh, been to medical school, had a medical license, and had decades and decades of medical experience. As a matter of fact, he was at the top of his field, at least at one time. The director of a prestigious uh, hospital treating patients with dementia and other aging-related cognitive diseases. The cruel irony, though, is that the man is now elderly and afflicted with dementia himself. 
the very disease he had spent his lifetime combating. It is placed in the hospital he had once served as the director. The man, though, didn't know this. The surroundings were familiar to him, and so was the routine. So every day he would make his rounds, checking in with patients, examining their charts, and making notes to himself about progress. He was no longer supposed to practice medicine, but no one told him otherwise. The patients, no doubt, didn't know any better themselves. And the hospital personnel probably thought it was best for the man to live in his illusion. All that time, all that came to an end, though, when one day, while making his rounds on the floor, the man flipped through the chart beside an empty bed. He read the diagnosis of advanced dementia along with the list of symptoms and test results. Then he saw the patient's name at the top of the chart, and the name was his own. That's me, the man cried. God help me. God help me. See, in today's text, King Nebuchadnezzar has lived in the tantalizing fog of fortune, fame, and success. Success to the level of only a handful of people have ever reached these heights. But it was to his spiritual ruin, not only to himself, but also to others. And despite Daniel's warning in verse 27 to face the truth of his personal sin and turn to God, he willfully ignored the severity of his illness. It was an illness that we looked at in depth last week, pride. See, and ignoring it led to him losing his mind. And this passage is as relevant for us today as it was back then. You see, there is a concern within our culture for mental uh, health, and I think it's right. As we've looked at this book, Faith for Exiles, one of the studies talked about this. Uh, David Kinneman and Matt Mark Matlock talked about this, but this that's what they said. This generation has been taught to expect and prepare for having it all. When overwhelmed by all you could do, how do you decide what you should do without having a nervous breakdown? The numbers show that this generation is facing unprecedented challenges when it comes to issues of mental health, anxiety, and staying sane and safe. Previously unimaginable complexity is creating an epidemic of anxiety in our homes and heads that is ratcheted up in the hearts of the next generation. And so when we talk about mental health, staying sane, we're seeing that the reality that it talks about in Scripture is true. There are people that have been struggling with this, and, and, and you talk to some of the people who've reached the heights of celebrity and fame, but they're, they're mentally out of control on a downward spiral and so we get wisdom today from someone who's reached the heights of success in his own words and Nebuchadnezzar recounts along with Daniel what led to his shocking fall but also expounds on his experience of God's amazing grace that God didn't leave him there 
that God didn't leave him there. So today, if you're walking in in distress, worried, concerned, filled with anxiety, I just want you to know that today there's a God who cares for you. He's been looking for you. And so this text is Daniel 4, 27 through 37. Just to give some background here, this was written in the 6th century B.C. As a teenager, Daniel was captured by King Nebuchadnezzar and placed into his royal court. Um, before, previously, we studied this in Daniel chapter 2, but Daniel interpreted a dream for Nebuchadnezzar that saved the lives of the enchanters, magicians, the Chaldeans, the people that didn't have the same belief system as Daniel. And what happens is Daniel was placed into this leadership position within Babylon. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is having uh, to learn this same type of lesson that, he was, that, that God was teaching him back in Daniel chapter 2. Because what happens is he didn't get the lesson the first time. He actually, like we talked about, doubled down on his decision to not listen to God. And now he's being disturbed by these dreams again. And so Daniel comes to him. And what happens in Nebuchadnezzar's life is as Daniel tells him some truths, there's... uh, an experience that Nebuchadnezzar has that's a, it helps him to learn this lesson in more dramatic fashion. And so the question is, what led Nebuchadnezzar to Nebuchadnezzar's histor- or horrific fall and also his remarkable rise? And what can we learn from this today? Well, there's three lessons that we can take from this. The first one is that he ignored the warnings. Number two, stripped of dignity. And number three, restored by God. He ignored the warnings, stripped of dignity, restored by God. And so the first one is that he ignored the warnings. Uh, look at verses 27 through 30. Okay, if you've got your Bibles today. Here's what it says. It says, Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Now, what's happening here? Well, Nebuchadnezzar, at the beginning of chapter 4, had a dream. This dream was about this tree that grew up and was feeding and all of the, li- uh, the, the livestock, the animals, all of the things that are around it. It was it was beautiful tree, but it gets cut down. It's commanded to be cut down. And all that's left is a stump. And so he comes to Daniel and he says, what does this mean? And da- Daniel tells him, he says, you're that tree. You will be cut down. You've been placed in this position of authority, but you've allowed pride to take over your life. And so God is going to cut you down. Before he went to Daniel, he went to the enchanters and magicians again. 
And what happened was that they couldn't interpret it. So he had to come to Daniel. He said, finally, he came to Daniel. Daniel tells him the inter- interpretation. He predicted the fall, and he told them this, this very difficult truth. Very difficult truth. Now, what we see in Daniel is that Daniel had a love for Nebuchadnezzar. It said that he was, he was uh, alarmed by the interpretation. So it was very difficult for Daniel to tell him what was going to happen. But Daniel is somebody who is bound to God, and so he says, I need to tell you this, this truth. Now, there um, were some researchers, uh, one author, Greg Lukanoff, and a sociologist, Daniel Haidt. And they, they're not Christians. Uh, they're non-Christians. But they were concerned with the state of education in our society, in our culture in America. Uh, because what they had seen as they were doing these studies is they, they said that college students uh, in particular were being insulated from beliefs and ideas which with they disagree. They were being isolated from it. And so they wrote this book called The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. And what they were saying was that what we're doing in our society is we are pushing away all of the ancient wisdom of the past and trying to create our own way. And here's what they, they wrote. Again, non-Christians. They said a culture that allows the concept of safety to creep in so far that it equates emotional discomfort with phys- physical danger is a culture that encourages people to systematically protect one another from the very experiences embedded in life that they need in order to become strong and healthy. They said, education should not be intended to make people comfortable. It is meant to make them think. Now, this is a a profound insight from people who are not Christians. But what we're going to find is that Daniel did not lean into what Nebuchadnezzar was comfortable with but actually put his life on the line to tell Nebuchadnezzar these things. Because possibly what could have alarmed him was that he could have lost his life if he said these things. He could have, it could have happened in Daniel chapter 2. It could happen in Daniel chapter 4. He could lose his very life for speaking these things to the king. Think about Nebuchadnezzar for a minute. He's probably been insulated most of his life with people who have told him exactly what he wants to hear all the time. But Daniel's not doing that. And he gives him the interpretation even though it's not comfortable for him to hear. He says, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. He says to the king, there are things in your life that are wrong. But also, it's affecting other people because it's created a culture of oppression. 
he wasn't kind to the oppressed. See, if you were to do some research of Babylon and how Babylon was built up, it was built on the backs of the poor. That's what it was. And so Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar something that he did not want to hear. This is a bold message, but, but it's a grace-filled message. It's a call to change. It's a sign of God's grace. It's a sign of hope. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of the kindness and forbearance and patience of God's forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? See, these things that Daniel is saying are hard truths. They're warnings. They're helpful warnings to Nebuchadnezzar but he's ignoring the warnings. Sinclair Ferguson, who's a commentator on this text, says, God appears to have given Nebuchadnezzar an extended opportunity to repent of his hardness of heart and to make amends for his arrogant empire building. Not only did he send him dreams to disturb him and a Daniel to instruct him and warn him, but he also gave him an extended period of months during which he could have turned from his sin. As the weeks passed and the promised terrible judgment did not emu- uh, eventuate, perhaps he assumed that the experience had been simply a bad dream. He made the most fatal mistake an individual can make. He assumed that he w- would interpret God's activity by his own plumb line. By his own plumb line. I'm going to interpret God's activity by my own plumb line. So, because he ignores the interpretation, what happens next? Well, he's stripped of dignity. Look at verses 31 through 33. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and you will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass uh, by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like, a, like the ox. His body was drenched with dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers on, of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. What is Dignity. Well, biblically, it's the inherent worth and value that God gives every human being. Every human being. It's the imago day that we see in Genesis chapter 1 as God is creating. It's the impression that's imprinted on every human life. Now, what has happened to the great Nebuchadnezzar? We see that because of his refusal to listen to God, He becomes unrecognizable as a human being. He transforms from human to beast. It says his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Now this is a painting from William uh, Blake of this uh, incident of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, as you look at this painting and see uh, what this 
looks like. This quote from Timothy Keller stuck out to me about this text in particular. He says, God is showing us that pride defaces our humanity. God was saying to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, listen to me. Because you insisted on trying to become more than what I made you, you will become less than what I made you. Because you aspired to be more than a man, you've become less than a man. As we think about the dignity and worth that God has given each human being, we see that it is through pride, our, creating our own way, that we lose track of what it means to truly be human. But the hope in the gospel is that he's restored by God. He's restored by God. Look at verses 34 through 37. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored and my throne and become um, even more greater than before. Now I am Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and exalt the, and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I want you to think about the life of Nebuchadnezzar because for many of us, we can try and distance ourselves. We say, well, I've never experienced that level of success. I've never been to the heights like that. I, I don't know what that's like. But what we've talked about is that pride can creep in so easily and we can think that we are the most high. That we can live in pride and not even realize it. That we can walk around looking at charts and thinking that we're in charge and we know what's going on, but actually we don't. And when is it that we get the wake-up call That when we look at our chart and we say, oh no, that's me. I'm like Nebuchadnezzar. Because we can create our own little kingdoms. And those can come crashing down at any moment. And so the question is, where do we turn when it comes crashing down? See, in this section here, this transitions back to a personal testimony that Nebuchadnezzar's giving. This is eyewitness experience. He says this. He says, my sanity was restored. My sanity was restored. The downward spiral no longer. Then he says, I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now at this point, Nebuchadnezzar had reached the heights. 
He created the hanging gardens, ancient wonders of the, the, the world. Like there, there, there's, there's things that he had done up to this point. But what we see is here he says that I became greater than before. Why is that? It's because at this point he's finding that the dignity and worth and all of these things, his life, were not built on any of those accomplishments before because all of those could come crashing down in a moment. But his greatness came when his eyes lifted to heaven and saw the Most High and that it wasn't him. I remember I went to New York I was talking with this pastor who had started um, an outreach to addicts, to people that were on the street. He'd reached these people. He'd, he'd, th this church had grown. But he said he would sit with these uh, men and women who, who'd been addicted most of their lives. And he said the question that he would ask him is this. He says... Um, you know, do you believe in a higher power? Do you believe in God? And they said, yeah, I believe that. And he said, um, does your higher power ever disagree with you? And if they said no, then he says, well, then you might be that higher power still. You might be sitting on the throne still. Does your higher power disagree with you? The higher power disagreed with Nebuchadnezzar here and said, you stand on that rooftop thinking that you did it, but you didn't. But why did he do it? Because it was out of love. It was out of grace. It was out of kindness. He says you'll be greater than you were before. One commentator, uh, Ian DeGid, says this. He says, it is worth noticing where Nebuchadnezzar's eyes are directed at the beginning and at the end of his time of judgment. At the beginning of the episode, he's on a lofty perch, comparing his glory to that of other men and glorifying himself. He thought of himself as the center of the universe. This is exactly what pride does. It locates the self at the center of the universe glorifying in its own achievements and putting everyone else in second place. The eyes of pride are thus always fixed on myself and my performance in a way that leaves no room for looking upwards to God. It is significant that the end of his humbling and the return of his reason came when he took his eyes off himself and lifted them to heaven in an act of supplication Independence. Friends, what this is, is the freedom of self-forgetfulness. It's the freedom of self-forgetfulness. How much do we think about ourselves all the time? <laughs> when we're snubbed, when we're overlooked, when things aren't going our way, it can control us. And God is saying, there's something greater to look upon than yourself. 
Transformation doesn't happen when you're looking down here, but when you're looking up here. And it is in grace that we can be restored by God. And so just some takeaways today. How can the fallen rise? How can the fallen rise? The first one is this. Seek God's interpretation. Seek God's interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar had surrounded himself with people that had probably told him exactly what he wanted to hear his whole life. And let's be honest, today we live in an age where you can surround yourself with people that can tell you exactly what you want to hear at any moment. See, for all of us, we could jump onto YouTube and we can confirm exactly what we've been thinking for years. But for us to look at the interpretation, that's really what it comes down to. Is the interpretation from God or is it from somewhere else? Is it from my own desires, my own feelings, my own wants? That's what it comes down to. Is the interpretation correct? See, this is a hard message for us today, but it's something that we need to hear. Are we using the devices in our pockets to confirm all the things that we want to hear? Because you can do that. Or are we looking for the Daniels that are going to tell us what we don't want to hear but are going to be from God? And it might be a hard interpretation to, to, to receive. But you say, you know what? I want the truth. See, friends, we're all wrestling to get to that place. And we can confirm anything we want when it comes to theology, about life, God. Or we can come to a place where we're saying, I, I want to truly seek the living God and his interpretation of life. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, if we were to lay ourselves down and say, okay, if, if Jesus is who he says he is, then we got to listen, right? We got, our ears got to perk up. Like, we got to say, okay, if, if, if there is someone who raised from the dead, what do you have to say? He says he's God. What did he have to say? Look at the life. Look at the person of Jesus. That's my encouragement to you. As you look for the interpretation, look to Christ. He's the word. He's the word. Not me or even any other preacher. Friends, a good preacher delivers the mail but doesn't write the letters. You hear me? Good preacher, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm just supposed to deliver the mail. That's my job. And so as we think about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, are we going to be a people that seeks God's interpretation? Justin Gibney, who uh, helps a lot when it comes to just justice issues in this world. He's a strong believer. He says this. He says, Christians must be critical thinkers and question the assumption and conclusions presented to us. We shouldn't simply accept the issues as they've been framed by political parties, ideological tribes, or the media. 
Because these sources usually aren't analyzing the issues from the standard of the gospel. Friends, we need to come and say we need to sharpen each other around the truth of God. That's all we've got. If this isn't God's truth, then we have nothing, friends. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead and he isn't Christ, the Apostle Paul says we are fools. And so will we stand on that? The second is this, face the facts. Daniel confronts Nebuchadnezzar out of love. And he confronts him about his oppression. He says, your sin is leading to hurt others. Now, in 2019, Samuel Perry did a study on the use of pornography by conservative evangelical Christian men and found that Christian men morally rejected yet personally consumed pornography. He called this a moral incongruence between what they believed and how they lived. Friends, today, how many things within the church are causing distrust amongst leaders, amongst people that, are, that say they're Christians? Because we're living incongruent lives. Do we serve a Jesus that says, yeah, go share people with me, but don't live like me? Right, this is a hard message today, friends, but this is what we're supposed to, we, we gotta be in alignment with this. And if we say, we, oh, you know what? I'm falling into everything else that, that are, that, that, that's around me and this is the way I'm living and all these things. Like, let's work through that together. We're not expecting everyone to be perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. But we need to confront these things if there are moral incongruences in our lives. Why? Because it contributes to the object, objectification of women, oppression within our culture. Friends, those, those that are in our church that are serving and generate hope that have helped women out of sex trafficking, right, these are real moral issues of our time. And for Christians to say we no longer will we, we go in this direction where we will live with an incongruence but say, Lord, help me to be like Jesus. Help me to be like Jesus. Right, this is what we need. 1 Peter 4.17 says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? See, friends, th this, is, this is, we need to look at ourselves and we need to say, yeah, there are some things that are incongruent in our lives and in the church. We need, people need real Believers in Christ. That's what we need. So we got to face the facts. This, the third one is this, look to heaven. Look to heaven. In her book, Dignity, uh, PhD, uh, Donna Hicks, she tells this story. She says, I heard recently about a man who was awarded a prestigious employee recognition award for his contributions to his company. By all accounts, the award was clear affirmation of his dignity. Yet, when asked how he felt about receiving the award, he said that he still felt like a number, that he wasn't really seen or recognized for who he was. She says this, not a Christian book. Without an internalized belief in his own worthiness, unless his wounds 
from the earlier imprint of his dignity were cleansed and healed, he would not be able to appreciate any validation of his worth from the outside, no matter how much recognition he was accorded. Now let's think about the gospel. What did Jesus do? It says that his wounds are what heal us. It says that by his wounds, you are healed. What, 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 is, what is the gospel message? Is that Jesus' wounds, as he goes upon the cross, as the truly mighty one, the one that is the most high, is lifted up, hung on a cross, beaten for our sins, takes the punishment on our behalf. Him, Jesus, lifted up. It says, by his wounds we are healed. See, friends, there will be no award, no recognition, no thing that we could do or accomplish in this world that could ever heal the wounds that are in here. And that's where the wounds of Jesus come in and meet us right where we're at. We say, no longer do we have to lie, do we have to act like everything's together, like we got it all figured out. No, 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 no. It's Christ that comes in. He says this. In Psalm 107, 10 through 16, I was doing my devotional this week. This one stuck out to me because I'm like, oh my goodness. This is it. Here's what it says. Some sat in darkness and utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains. You think about our generation today? How many feels like we are just sitting in darkness, isolated, alone, with a computer screen in our room, whatever it might be, just prisoners suffering in chains. So it's because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. Listen to this. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. You feel like you're trapped sometimes by bars of iron? You feel like you're just held down in life? And there's no way out? Jesus says, I came to cut those away from your life and to free you and to lift you up and to heal you. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. See, we have a loving God who doesn't tell us everything we want to hear but tells us what we need to hear. And he paid the ultimate price, the punishment, so that we could be free. And so that's how the falling can rise, is when we look up to heaven and see that there's a God that came from heaven to earth, died for our sins, and lifts us out of our sin. It says, I've, I've bought you at a great price. It's the cost of my life. You don't have to live in pride. You don't have to prove yourself anymore. You can humble yourself and be set on a new path.
Let's pray. Jesus, this is a word that in many ways it's hard to receive. And so, Lord, we just pray that you'll help us to see that we could be living on the throne of our own lives and it could be a destructive thing because there's only one most high. It's you. And so let us turn to you. Let us look to you. Thank you that we can find forgiveness and grace. That there's grace in the fall. There's a mighty, a mighty God who, who, who offers amazing grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.